Hello and welcome everyone to the North Davis Podcast, where we have conversations about faith in Jesus, what's going on in our lives, the world around us, and how those things all interact. I'm your host and friendly neighborhood youth minister, Chris. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the show. Hey, North Davis, welcome to episode two of the ND Podcast. It's Chris here, ready to bring you the interview with Anna Morris. And we have a really good conversation that I'm excited for you guys to hear. Uh, Just fun talking to these seniors one-on-one and and here getting a chance to um, just hear what senior year has held for Anna and all the unique challenges related to things like being a musician and being a singer and, and the challenges of physical distancing protocols related to being a musician. We talk about things like being not just a minister's kid, but a double minister's kid, as of course both of her parents are uh, in the ministry here at North Davis and um, camp songs. So it's everything from being goofy, uh, making jokes, all the way to the very serious world of uh, the pressures of being a ministry family. And so again, just a great conversation that I'm excited for you guys to hear. And a quick warning, you are actually going to jump into the middle of a conversation we're having. Anna was in the room with Avely and I when we recorded the podcast for week one. And so when we said goodbye to Avely, Anna was actually ready to jump right in. And so she picks up the microphone, she props her feet up on the table and immediately starts talking. Uh, and it was funny. And so I just went ahead and hit record. And so uh, you actually catch us in the middle of laughing about camp songs. And uh, so again, really enjoyable conversation. So without further ado, here's Anna. Hey, oh, uh, what's the, what's the, um, the, hey, oh, pizza, pizza, need some gum? Luke, I am your uh, What's the? Pizza, uh, pe- that one? No, 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 no. I don't remember how it goes. Um, See, I've only been a member of the Church of Christ for so long, so. Well, welcome to the party. I, d- I, d- I don't know all the camp songs. Oh, no. You can ask my dad. He knows this one. Um, oh, no. Uh, it's. Oh no! <laughs> so okay, so you do like this little chant thing, and then you and then you do it. You say the thing three times. So I like, could be like, "A O pizza pizza," and so I go, "A O pizza pizza," "A O pizza pizza," "A O pizza." Like I don't know, and then you like combine it, and I don't know. It's really okay. I stupid. thought I'd heard of this. I clearly haven't. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll have to figure this out. Like I said, I'm still I still consider myself new to the Church of Christ in some ways because. I don't know so many of those camp songs. There's a lot of Church of Christ camp songs. Yeah. That well, I'll I'm just calling you, that's what it is, right? Like this is definitely a camp song. Not oh like, yeah, definitely okay. a camp song. Something that we would have done at Uplift, or something that we would have done at Goddard, or right. just at any kind of church event. That's something that we would do. I mean, I'm pretty sure most of the children's ministry people know it because that sounds like something. I think that's something yeah. that we've done. Yeah, I definitely well, don't know. I feel like there's such a vast library of stuff I need to learn. Well, and I think a lot of these are also from when we were younger. And they don't right. really have many church camp. I mean, they do, but they really don't. Now they just kind of do worship music, which is great and all. Mm. But, like, the hype is whenever you do those old camp songs that everybody knows. Yeah. Kind of like playing the um, honey, honey, smile if you love me or whatever. Yeah, right. The things that. Me, you, yes. Yeah, that game. Like, the, that's they not don't something have any, that all uh, the young, like, the kids who are coming into the group, they don't really know that game. Like, that's one that we played all the time. Right. Just for fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's 
what camp songs are for, right? It's the exactly. stuff that has no theological value whatsoever, <laughs> but to say, hey, <laughs> this okay, is, okay. we're oh, just having fun together, right? And, there, and was, there was one that we did. It was like left, left. Left, right, left. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let me see that Daryl's driving. What's that you said? I said, let me see that Daryl's driving. What's that you said? I said, a skrr, a skrr, a skrr, a And there you have it. One more time, and then you go again, and then at the end, you go back in line. Everybody gets back, and you go, left, left. And then you do the dance, and like there's like that tip the cow when you get here, and you're like falling over. I mean, it's so stupid, but it's so <laughs> fun. We come up with our own verses for these things. That's the whole point. It's exactly. just to goof around and have fun. Yeah. I tried to. Were you, I think you would have been there when we were at Camp Glow. Oh golly, I guess it's two summers ago now. I would assume my yeah. favorite camp song growing up. Again, uh, not COC, but uh, did I try to teach all the My Froggy song? Uh, I believe that? so. Yes. About a purple frog. Oh, maybe I don't remember okay. this. It, I, I'm not going to do it here, but <laughs> it, it will probably it would remind you. But uh, it didn't really catch on, um, which <laughs> is sad to me. Maybe you need to reteach it to the youth group. I think we could try again, um, but it's definitely like you said. Like you have to really lean into the silly for camp songs. Of course. And if you just like tried to teach it on a Sunday morning when everybody's <laughs> in like jeans and nice shirts, like it wouldn't go well. You've got to be in the camp headspace. Oh right? yeah. The Nike shorts, the messy hair, the... I don't know anything about anything you just said. Um, Nike shorts. Do they make Nike shorts even for men? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that short, but they make Yeah, not like 80s basketball Nike. shorts. Yeah, of course. No, no, that's, that's a... Oh, man. Speaking of those shorts. Okay, so I did track seventh and eighth grade year and let me tell you the girls and the guys wore the same shorts and the shorts were short on me so imagine these guys having to wear these I've, I've watched basketball highlights like from from the so 80s yeah bad yeah well, i feel like so that's bad. you know like boat shorts are kind of the thing yeah. again you know um They're not that anybody who owns boat shorts actually goes on a boat um it's just kind of the look, but you know, like well, they they come about halfway up the yeah, thigh. Yeah, I mean, they're they're they definitely the, wouldn't make dress code. They're regular guy shorts, except just a little bit by a little right. bit. Right, and shorter, they usually get like rolled much. like once or twice, you know. Yeah. I'm saying, oh, like if you man. if guys had know. to pass the finger length test, do they still do that at school? No, they no. don't have a dress code at my school. I wow. mean, they do. Is dress code just so 2000? Yeah, we don't do I mean, you're not supposed to wear shirts that don't cover. I mean, if they don't go below your waist, yeah, you they got to be a certain Then length. you're not supposed to wear leggings. Yeah, that doesn't dress doesn't code get anymore. enforced. I mean, yeah. you don't. You can wear ripped jeans. You can wear tank tops and tube tops. Really? And all these. Okay. They don't say anything. It's, it's just different now. You can. Wear you Nike also shorts. can have your phone out. I'm told, and people don't really care about phones anymore. Um, heck yeah. <laughs> it just seems Listen like um, you know, <laughs> the stereotype I think sometimes for young people is like the rules don't apply to us. And I think it's because so many people have given up on the rules, it's, <laughs> like that's phones true. or dress code, and you know, not that every dress code rule was was good to begin with. But um, anyway, if you have been listening to us vamp for the last five <laughs> minutes, you are on with Chris and Anna Morris. She's our second senior to be interviewed, and you, of course, know her because she is a minister's kid, uh, growing again, not Church of Christ. So when I was growing up, they were PKs, pastors' kids. We're still called PKs. You still, yeah, because MKs is missionaries kid. Yeah, we're PK, pastor's kid. Right, it's different. Um, also, PK can be stand for preacher's kid, but I just call it a pastor's kid. Sure. So yeah, I pastors call like I, I'm a double PK. Double which PK. I don't oh, know if that like, both your parents. I don't know if that cancels me out or if that just makes me twice the 
That's interesting. Well, I think we'd have to dive into that. What do you? What is the stereotype about uh, PKs? Because um, well, I have one okay, of my own see, now. I need here's, to know. We've, I've done my research. My <laughs> friends have also done the research because they're uh-huh. curious. But usually there's two sides to ministers' kids. There's these are like your really goody goodies, and then you have the kids who just reject they, it all. They, well, they they up front they're like super good kids, but like behind the scenes uh-huh. they're not so much angels. <laughs> and I feel like when we okay. were little, we used to be that way. Like I remember we would be fighting in the car and not be getting along and mom and dad would be like, oh, "Y'all have to start being good. We're about to see church people." And then all of a sudden we Oh, so they angels. even told you. Like they explicitly said, "We uh, are I going to be at church. You must behave." Um pretty much. Okay, I remember <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time we were oh, we were going, I don't remember which elder's house, but it was like the first month that we'd been Ooh, living and here. The elder's house. Oh, I know. It was crazy. <laughs> we were going for dinner, and it was like our first month being in Texas at the at North Davis. And I remember, sh- I've, I've told her about this, but mom doesn't remember saying this, and it could just be my brain. But she goes, if y'all don't behave, we could get fired. Like, y'all, y'all <laughs> directly, like, the way y'all act is yeah. a is a reflection of how we parent and so i always remember being so scared to mess up in front of people because i was like i don't want my parents to get fired now i've gone back and talked to her and she never said that is it possible she said it in jest that she was joking about it that might have been dad saying it as a joke because that's a dad thing mom would never have said it if she didn't mean it um, right. She probably didn't. It's just my, you know, 10-year-old brain being like, <gasps> sure. we're, we're at a new place and this is their new job and I don't want them to get fired and we have to be on our best behavior right. and all these things. And so that's probably the most interesting part of that take is whether or not it happened, you have lived that reality, perceived or explicitly said, there is a perception, at least on ministers' kids, that your behavior, your achievements, your whatever are a reflection not just of your parents like all kids actions are a reflection of their parents but might even have an influence on their employment status <laughs> and in turn like your housing where you go to school etc like growing up was that something you remember just kind of always being there like that awareness not really because both my parents okay so before i moved here mom was a teacher at a christian school that we were at and dad was a part-time minute well he was a full-time minister and then a part-time minister and a part-time teacher bible teacher at the same school that my mom worked at and so i was never fully a double minister's kid or i never felt fully like a minister's kid and even though i was a minister's kid when we lived in alabama it was like, wow, I'm so cool. My dad runs this place. Like, I mean, that's <laughs> what I thought. I was like, he like owns the church. So like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like a princess because he's like the king of the church. So I'm like, <laughs> wow. Oh, it was a whole odd mindset. I remember <laughs> having a conversation with, I don't even remember who, but they're like, that's not how that works. They work for God. God is the king of the church. Like, mm-hmm. you're just, you're just there. Like, he doesn't really run the church. He doesn't own the church. And I remember being so confused. Like, no, he's, he's the minister. He helps lead everything. He runs it. Like, right. oh man, it was, this is quite a time to be alive. <laughs> being like a seven-year-old kid being like, my dad owns this place, so I can do whatever I want. Right. Yes, there's a special kind of privilege that definitely <laughs> comes with it. Um, and I think 
I've watched minister's kids be aware of that privilege really quickly. And, well, and the other thing is like, you're so loved by ever, I mean, elders and you know, all the other leaders of the church. Right. But like you're seen as extra precious somehow, almost that sounds bad. It's, it's almost like a special spotlight. I yeah, feel like maybe. Uh, there have been times where um, my mom has told me um, about people who have been telling her about their kids having me as a good example, like mm. putting me on this pedestal, like, oh, they're a minister's kid. Like, they right. were raised right. They were raised in the church. Like, hey, like, you should follow their example. Like, this is a good example to be. And so I've always kind of been like, oh, I have to be mm-hmm. a good example mm-hmm. kind of on that spot. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily like a higher spotlight it's just a different spotlight yeah well and i think it, it seems to me having been in ministry for about seven years now that the same expectation maybe that's placed on our lives that we should live up to a certain standard and a conduct and be an example which is certainly a positive motivation um and positive peer pressure but it may be that even extends to ministers kids and that can create just unique dynamics for sure yeah for sure because like you said it either goes one way or the other you either lean in you're like yes this is a good thing or you pretend and then we've seen also the example of the i don't remember how you put it not so angelic child (laughs) you know which is interesting um so you're getting ready to graduate from martin yes what have you been involved in this year Choir, orchestra, NHS. I do a lot of babysitting. That's kind of <laughs> taken. I, I I feel like I babysit more than I actually go to school, and that's probably because it's true. Because I have like two classes, so I don't ever really do yeah. school very much. And how yeah. much more babysitting have you been able to do because it's COVID and not a normal school year? You think? Well, at first I wasn't babysitting at all when COVID hit because everybody oh, yeah, was sure. scared to let me into their houses, and yeah. I. It was a very depressing time because <laughs> I was used to being financially or just socially or both, yes. Yeah. Both. Um, I, I was so used to seeing these kids on a weekly basis right. and getting to hang out with them. And it was a very good part of my week. And then not having that for three months mm-hmm. is really hard to do. Yeah. Um, but then all of a sudden everybody was tired of staying in the house and were wanting to go out. I mean, even if it was wearing a mask or just going into a park or being outside. And, and so then all of a sudden I'm getting all these new people in and of course you all had a kid. So that has opened up opportunities and, and just everybody has been like, Hey, I mean, we don't need you, but for a couple hours, but can you do this? Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. I mean, at this point I babysit, um, probably five out of the seven days a week. Really? Um, whether I mean whether it's just for a couple hours or not. Sure. I mean, but I babysit most days of the week. Yeah, and these are I assume mostly, if not all, people that are compensating you somehow. Of course, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a pretty sweet gig. <laughs> right. So you don't have to tell me the numbers if you don't want to, but like, are you, like, did you ever imagine you'd be pulling in as much money as you did without working a different kind of job? Um. No, I. Babysitting, mm. I've always said, you know, you pay me what you feel comfortable paying me. I don't have a set You don't rate. have a rate, yeah. Right. Um, and when I calculated the rate that I'm getting paid per hour, I was shocked. I was like, <gasps> okay, I couldn't what's make that, that So what's else. that number? Um, I think I calculated, and right now it's between 17 to 20 an hour. Okay. So, so legitimate, like a professional childcare worker yeah. worth of money. Right. I feel like that's more appropriate, though, considering... I mean, most of the situations I'm aware of that you do minus us, you know, is multiple kids. 
Right. Because I've heard of, yeah. you know, some people, it's like, oh, you know, here's 10 bucks an hour for the one kid and maybe the kid's in bed most of the evening while parents go out to dinner and what have you. But yeah. you do um, a lot more than that. In fact, you are the only person I think my wife would let take care of uh, our baby early on, m- you know, minus family. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and even not all of them. Hopefully they're not listening. Um, but <laughs> what what was it that set you down um, a path to being babysitter extraordinaire not just like babysitter but uh child care extraordinaire i mean you do more than just babysit you know it it doesn't quite cover what what all you do yeah um i really definitely have to thank my mother for that um because my mother is (laughs) because my mother (laughs) is so good with kids and is the children's minister and um they they have trusted her opinion to you know let me take care of the kids um, especially the Lees we're pretty much the first set of people that I really babysat for um, and then they started spreading good word about me and it kind of how old were you when you first were babysitting like alone 13. unsupervised 13 well I say that I babysat the Lees for the first time when I was 12 it was right before I turned 13 so, I, I mean, I was probably a couple weeks away from being 13. Mm-hmm. And then when I turned 13 is when I could finally start being a regular babysitter. So, that wow. Was, yeah. was that per, like, your parents' expectations or theirs? Um, or It was a thing I set for myself. My parents kind of set it in place. And other okay. people just kind of prefer somebody who's not, I mean, I guess technically Yeah, who could, you know, drive or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, and... I mean, people definitely now, now that I, since I turned 16, I've gotten so many more because I can drive myself and it's so much easier because I can drive other kids and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So pretty much as long as you've been capable of doing anything, you know, you've been babysitting. Well, and before. You you didn't have to mow lawns or get a paper route. No. And and before, (laughs) I mean, I didn't get paid for it, but before we even moved here, I would still take care of, I mean, maybe the parents would be there. But I would have the kid and I'd be responsible taking care of him for a couple hours while the parents got work done or clean the house or whatever it was. And yeah. so, I mean, I did that since probably seven or eight. So right. it's just kind of wow. always been something that I've done. Yeah. And people are nice enough to be like, hey, we really liked you. So they pass along my number and sure. I just get random text messages being like, hey, I know so and so. Yeah. So. It, yeah. I mean, a good performance is great networking, right? <laughs> yeah. People, yeah, and then well, I feel like too. People have their um, their preferred babysitter, and they'll yeah. move their plans until that babysitter is ready. I feel like you know, yeah. it's like, oh, Anna's not available. I guess we'll do date night on Thursday instead. You know, yeah, like people will work their schedule. I mean, around. unless it's like a pre-planned thing, right? Then, then I mean, I have, I mean, also I have people that if I can't babysit, then I have a list of three or four people that I can then refer. To those people whom I trust. Do you take a cut of their pay when you refer? No. Okay, because you've got a business model working here. I don't know if you know that. I, I mean, I <laughs> Like do. a finder's fee, like, you know, no. 10% of, of whatever they pay you? No, I babysit. <laughs> nah, they can keep what they make. Yeah, well, I, I respect that. Uh, so we talked to Avely last week. By the time we released that episode, it'll, it'll be a week. Um, about her college plans. Um, I've, of course, talked to you fairly regularly about what's going on and what you anticipate doing. Um, is it set in stone? Is it concrete, what you're doing? It is not set in stone, but it is heavily, heavily leaning. It's looking good. Tell the folks listening, what is plan A for you, fall plan A 21? Plan is going to Lipscomb in Nashville, Tennessee. 
um, majoring in um, child life specialty, which is a family consumer sciences degree, uh, planning on going to work in hospitals, working with oncology patients, getting to work with them and their families. And um, they, Lipscomb has a really great program that works hand in hand with Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, oh wow. um, which is a wonderful program that I'm really hoping to get into. And they have it set so that by the time um, I'll be a fifth year senior when I graduate and I will graduate with a master's. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's one so of those programs that is yeah. you're working on. Um, so that's plan time. A. They have a great program. They have the right program. Yeah. Um, and then plan B would be going to Lubbock Christian University and getting a degree in family sciences and uh, double in Bible. Um, and hopefully get enough to be able to go somewhere else to get a master's degree mm -hmm. for child life since they don't have the right program. Yeah. So both of those are Christian universities. You mentioned Bible degree at Lubbock, but not Lipscomb. Bible degree at Lipscomb. I, okay. I so you want to double major both both ways? Yes. Yes. What, uh, Bible major. Just for uh, funsies? Um, What's the I thought? Think partially because it's all that I know since both my parents are ministers. Um wanting to be able to follow in that um, also because if I do both a um, family consumer sciences and a Bible degree then I will be able to have so many options I can do a clergyship at a sure. um, at a hospital I can do what I'm wanting to do I can become a Christian counselor I can work in the church if I need to it, it gives me lots of um, possibilities with potential jobs and um, I love being in ministry growing up in it and I want to be able to even if it's not um, in a church being able to minister to families um, even if it is through a hospital setting. So. Yeah so describe for me and for any of our listeners that have just as fuzzy a picture as I do um, I've known people that have got family life specialty degrees uh, if I'm saying that right and you talked about working with you know, patients in a hospital and their families. What is it that you'd be doing in, in that scenario you described? What does a family life specialist do when working with a patient in a children's hospital? So um, it's a very relational job working with a lot of the same people every day. Um, I would go in and I'd be a psychiatrist of sorts, getting to um, counsel the the. the the kids who are going through what they're going through, um, through treatments and through finding out that they have cancer and things like that. Um, and then also getting to work with the parents who might not have the best um, idea of what's going on. Um, and also with potential siblings that they may have who are worried about um, their sibling who has cancer or is going through a big surgery or whatever it is. And so getting to work with that whole family and the oncologists or um, doctors getting to help make the best decisions and help getting to um, convey what's going on in a in terms that you know the kids will understand and that the adults can also understand. Yeah, so, so kind, kind of, of a mediator role almost between yeah. medical and family and yeah, it okay. kind of combines the two things that I've been wanting to do. I want to do and work with um, oncology, but I don't necessarily want to be an oncologist, um, and I also want to do psychology. So it kind of mixes the both of them okay. together pretty yeah. well. That would be interesting because uh, in oncology, you're, you know, oncology, you're talking about like med school, right? And being yeah. a doctor, yeah, yeah. full blown, yeah. Um, Vanderbilt Children's is pretty well renowned. 
Yeah. Right. It would That's be. Cool. Yeah. It would be the same as like a St. Jude's or Cook's Children's. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, yeah they have, time. I mean, they have whole floors dedicated to um, oncology. Um, and so that would be a really, uh, places like that, children's hospitals who have mm-hmm. oncology specialties would be a really great place to work because then they have more demand for yeah. people like me who right. didn't go into child life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can only imagine, you know, my sister is an oncology nurse at Cook and, and I can only imagine, you know, the value of having somebody in that, you know, family child life specialist you know i i think of even just you know deacon had a growth on his back that was benign and but just needed it to get removed and so you know having surgery in the middle of a pandemic like i know sarah would have liked to have just had somebody to talk to you know through that even with something that wasn't particularly scary you know could could, it could always be worse right and i think she would have loved to have somebody like you just to just to shoot the breeze with and just talk through it and hey how are you feeling and yeah um so that's that's cool um one year into a pandemic and like you said it affected your babysitting it affected your school i know it's affected all the extracurriculars um upsides and downsides we again we asked avely last week but what's the 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 best part of a pandemic what if what's been the pro what's been the con so with being in a global pandemic, you'd think that I wouldn't have nearly as much time to hang out with friends or I'd have more time if we were actually in school full, um, full blown. But I've actually had a lot more time to hang out with my friends and build those relationships with them and get to know more people who will be going to potential colleges and getting to hang out with them. And um, I've really grown in a lot of relationships over COVID, which I, a lot of them I didn't expect to be in at all before COVID happened. Um, And so I've made a lot of new friendships and rekindled a lot of old friendships that I had maybe previously that um, didn't always make it through high school. So that's been really good. Something that's been really bad um, with choir and orchestra, it is a setting where you want to be close together and be able to perform. And so singing with a mask on is not so easy. Mm. And we're not allowed to, um, on Fridays, we sing a song called This Still Room and we stand in a circle and hold hands, but we can't do that with the pandemic, Mm. which has been Mm. super Mm. sad. And with orchestra, we have to stay spread apart. So you don't get stand partners and you, it's harder to hear everything and be able to have, I mean, make music out of things when you're not so close together. And so that's been really difficult. Yeah. Have you noticed it's kind of a niche question, but, uh, you know, I played in the band in high school, and so I'm just imagining f- being spread out. And if everybody, I don't know if they're actually measuring six feet out from each um, each musician, but um, it, just the the ear that automatically does things, especially senior year. You've done it for years now. Your ear automatically picks up on things in a performance, in a practice session where you're listening to the people around you, trying to tune and trying to pick up on timing and everything like that. Um, how dramatic of a change was it playing with a very spread out group uh, versus normal? Is it is it detectable in a noticeable way? At first, um, it was really hard to play because we were outside in a tent like I mean, we were probably 10 feet apart at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, We had little boxes that we would stay in, and it was really (laughs) hard because, I mean, we were, like, on a farm, and so there were animals running. I mean, it was really hard to hear. Where were y'all playing? We were playing. um, One of the kids in our orchestra lives on a farm. Okay, so somebody just offered up their property and Yeah, and so we played in a tent probably, oh, probably larger than this office. I mean, 
Oh, yeah, because well, how many players are in the orchestra um, that you're... We have, I think, 36 this year. Okay. Um, so if you're spreading yeah. everybody out six to ten feet, I mean... Yeah, it's a, it's a very large... Well, the first tent that we had was actually pretty small, and then we got to upgrade to a bigger tent, which yeah, is nice. Yeah, like a circus tent. Um, but then we finally got to move back into the school building, which we thought would be great. We'd be able to hear each other better, except we had to sit in rows, and we couldn't face the sound toward each other. And mm. so I could only hear myself. I couldn't hear any of the other parts. And so playing music and trying to learn music was super difficult. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But now that everything is kind of, um, I guess, lessened a little bit, now we're able to still socially distance sit like we normally would um, in a regular year. Um, granted, we don't have stand partners. We have to stand by ourselves, which is really difficult. Um, but it's been better to hear. It's a lot more normal than it used to be. Um, I'm sitting relatively in the middle, so I can hear all the parts, which is super nice. And mm -hmm. with choir, we started out in the auditorium, not on the stage, but in the seating, which holds about, I want to say our auditorium holds maybe six, 700 people. Yeah, it's big. And so, I mean, we were spread out across the entire. And that's the whole of the choir, right? I mean, that's probably more I like mean, 100 people, right? Um, well, only like... 40 people would show up and so it was really oh yeah because people were doing online right and they're not and even so showing up i mean for i'm doing online i just go in for orchestra and for choir for rehearsal, yeah. and so it's really hard to hear that but finally we were able to <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad you couldn't hear anybody i could only right. hear myself and i was like ah. yeah and then we finally got to move into the choir room and we can hear each other and we were still socially distanced but it's still I mean, it's a lot better than it was yeah. at the beginning of the year, which is nice. That may be the best metaphor for the pandemic in America is the choir spread out where you can only hear, hear yourself. You know, like it feels like through, man, was it last summer? Like the, the George Floyd riots and um, yeah. political unrest and, you know, violence at the Capitol, like just kind of a crazy year, yeah. even beyond a global pandemic. And it feels like we've had this problem of people that can only hear themselves, Yeah, you know, rather than being able to listen to their fellow players. Um, it's, it's, that's kind of an interesting, interesting thought there. Um, the pandemic has, been better or worse for different people depending on their personality and situation um and so certainly you know want to be mindful of people that have had a particularly hard time job loss loved ones lost etc um but you know some people introverts for example might um feel like they are handling this quite well overall um just reflecting on the past year uh pandemic life um do you feel like you would have done anything differently if you could have talked to yourself a year ago? Is it, has it been all right for you or? Um, it's actually been pretty good. Um, I've still been able to hang out with friends and um, I'm able to kind of get on a rhythm and a schedule, which is super nice. And I don't feel nearly as busy. So I have more time to sleep and get homework done. And I mean, just sit there and relax and breathe, which has been super nice. Because um, I feel like if we weren't in a pandemic, this year would be crazy. I mean, I probably would have barely had any time to even sit down to do this kind of thing. Right. Um, but I think if I could change one thing, I would probably deal with my feelings about the pandemic sooner. Um, mm. I really didn't deal with anything probably till about the third month into senior year. 
Um, so and we're I, talking about October, right? Like yeah. seven or eight months into. Yeah. yeah. Like I didn't deal with anything. I was just like, it'll be okay. Um, I'm fine. I mean, I haven't, I mean, I have it so much better off than so many people. Sure. Um, and so I just kind of put those feelings to the side and then come October, um, they start canceling things left and right, right and I hadn't dealt with it and so I kind of was really depressed for a couple of weeks because uh, they started canceling all the big things like homecoming and all the football games and senior nights and I mean at one point they were even talking about having no prom um, which was really sad because I mean that's the one thing that I wanted to get to do this year and um, and so it was just really hard to have to deal with all of my feelings about the pandemic and all of the things that I was having to lose like in two week period of time. So I would have gone back and told myself just to kind of deal with the feelings, you mm. know, first yeah. first off, you know, get it out of the way when I had the time. That way I could ease into all of the things that I was losing. Yeah, I feel like that's something everybody needs to hear, right? Is just deal with your feelings in reality. Oh yeah. Right. Just like sit down and take stock of what you're actually feeling, you know. Um, I think especially having had a first baby and everything, I know what Sarah and I have constantly been dealing with is, you know, realizing that we are having an off day or something and getting snippy with each other or whatever. And it's like, okay, pause, you know, what's, what's eating at me? What stress am I carrying that I'm not thinking about? And, you know, whether it's pandemic or social unrest or what have you. And, um, so yeah, just embrace your feelings, talk about them, deal with them out in, in reality. Yeah. Um, Y'all have been at North David, I want to say seven years. I don't remember what the seven, number is. Seven, um, eight at the end of May, beginning of June. That's the end of the eighth year, start of the eighth start, year? Mm. Something like that. Do you remember what year you moved here? 2013. Okay. So some, somebody can do the math on whether we're, we're starting think, or finishing eight. I think we had been here for seven years the last time we were here. So we started the eighth year. Okay, so, so we're coming up towards the end of the So eighth. we will have been here eight years. Yeah. And starting our ninth year. Yeah, so certainly long enough to put down some serious roots. And, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this or, or, or you are, you know, y'all listening. Uh, the average, and this is when I was in school, sophomore, junior year, I remember talking about tenure for ministers. Yeah. The average for youth ministers is something like 18 months, two years. Yeah. Uh, oh, before you like change, four years. I, I mean, maybe it is for other positions or maybe that was the, the, the tenure, um, at another point in history. But the most recent data we had when I was in school was that an average youth minister would be at their job for 18 months before they, you know, moved on, whether they were fired or took a new job or what have you. So I don't know what it is for other positions, worship children's, you know, that your parents occupy, um, but y'all have put down some serious roots here, of course. Yeah. And so you've gotten to have the advantage of being really loved by a church family and known by a church family because you've been here, uh, and, and participated for so long. With that being said, what are some of your fondest memories thinking about life with North Davis over the past eight years? There's a lot of memories. Um, it's basically half your <laughs> life. So <laughs> you have a lot to pick from. I'd say from it's more than sure. half my life. Cause I mean, I'm here a lot and it comes home with mom and dad and I mean, mm, especially yeah. most recently I've been getting a lot more involved in the ministry itself I mean sure. I can say that I've probably been in ministry as long as you have Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that might be true uh, yeah. I started interning in 2012 um, so yeah. yeah maybe so between About helping your mom and babysitting and ministering to children maybe because yeah. I think I immediately started working 
with the children's ministry stuff immediately as, as soon we as y'all were here. here yeah yeah so that would have been 2013 i mean there it's not nearly the same as what you've been doing but i mean it's still i mean living ministry oh um, yeah i didn't even think about it you said you know it comes home yeah. i feel like that's a whole podcast episode right there <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> that could yeah yeah um i it's really hard to pinpoint a favorite memory um one of my all-time fondest memories was uh, I don't know it was before COVID hit and I want to say it was about a year and a half to two years ago um, we did um, families got to do communion and so it was all the dads and their wives and their children going around passing around the communion it was just a sweet thing to get to see Mm -hmm. these children so excited to get to help be a part of something so much bigger than we are, you know, being able to take the bread and the cup and get to pass that out to people. And it was, it was a beautiful service that time. Um, I guess a youth group thing that I love the most after we got back, I'm about to call Merritt out and I apologize. But after we got back from our new Iberia trip, we were supposed to go to Haiti, but then there was some stuff going on over there. So we weren't allowed to go. So we went to new Iberia, Louisiana, and we had a great time. Um, and so we came back, and the Sunday that we were back, there was uh, an interview process about um, just asking questions about what was going on. And I remember uh, the question was, you know, what all did you get to experience over there? Like, how did you get to minister over there to those people? And Merritt was, you know, saying, you know, we got to help build a house for a family who didn't have one. And we got to um, help with the Boys and Girls Club, getting just to hang out with them so that they could have some, I mean, new faces to hang out with. And then he said, and we got to um, play games and things like that at the funeral home with the old people. And we just sat there laughing so hard because it's not a funeral home. It's a, it was a <laughs> nursing home. Yes, and he I've seen the clip. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was. Truly incredible. It was, it was phenomenal, yeah. I think. I mean, that's one of the probably the most ingrained into my brain <laughs> services of all time. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I mean, that being said, I remember a service one time when we lived in Alabama. There was a guy who prayed for 15 minutes straight. And, I mean, he was just going on. I mean, I lost track. And eventually, like, we were all, like, opening our eyes, like, looking up, like, is he still like he's going? he's still going. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I don't know. It was a great time. I love going to camp. Um, I love getting to bond with all people. I love getting to meet new people. Um, There's just so many great memories there. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably harder to pick from them when you're not only going for your own spiritual benefit, but also serving, like you said, with children's ministry and everything else. Are are you old enough to remember kids say the darndest things at all? I feel like that's what we got with Merritt. It was like kids say the darndest (laughs) thing, teenage edition. Very much so. You know, like just totally on it like the way his brain it wasn't like he misspoke it was like that's how his brain thought about it was that it was a funeral (laughs) home for old folks i apologize Merritt. it was just too good not to share oh yeah well and i think most people probably remember that Uh, Uh, i know uh, your dad keeps clips of everybody's funny things on his computer Uh, so if you've ever if you've ever been particularly uh amusing in a uh communion meditation or something else you're probably in our collection somewhere my mom has made it many many adults. oh yeah i think she's Your probably in, in there, there the most kira's in there jeff's in there obviously with him preaching there's plenty of options all the time oh yeah yeah, yeah. um it's a good time it's a it's a quality collection no <laughs> doubt 
Um, growing up, Gen Z, this is something I wanted to ask all you guys and just get your perspective. There seems to be, um, I mean, I'm 28. I don't know how much experience I can speak from, but it feels like there is so much certainly analysis and research that's been done about different generational things um, and differences between people from various generations. But it seems to me that there's almost more generational animosity, if that makes sense, like antagonism and, and yeah. oh, well, these generations are like this and ours was better or this generation was the best and just kind of an interesting uh, competition that somehow arose. And I don't know exactly yeah. where that came from, but what is your take on yourself being from Gen Z? Um, do you guys get a bad rap or are you an old soul? And you're like, no, we are the worst because we are this way. What, what's your kind of view of your generation? I hear I that sigh. <laughs> I can't say we're the best. We, we can be the worst sometimes. And I understand that. But also, I feel like we really do get a bad rap. Rep. Um, I mean, I feel like everybody thinks we're these delinquents that are just trying <laughs> to get in trouble all the time. Like, I can't go into a store and have fun without, like, an adult eyeballing me, like, making sure that I'm not going to steal anything or mess anything up. I mean, there, were, there was a time where um, I left to go get lunch and my friends went to the mall um, and they were just, I mean, going around dick sporting goods and they were on the escalator on the way up and they got kicked out for doing nothing wrong because it looked like they were doing something. I mean, we're not, I mean, we're not always up to doing no good. I mean, sure. we have just cause you're young. Right. I mean, we have a lot of good intentions. I feel like our, um, our generation is really good about the whole action thing. Um, Say more about that. What do, you, what do you mean, the action thing? I don't know. I feel like speaking up about things. I feel like a mm. lot of the the big topics going around were really started by a lot of Gen Z people being like, hey, like we want equality and things like that. Um, I feel like we have a voice and we want to use it, and so we do. And so we sure. take action because we're not afraid to speak our minds and things like that. Yeah. And sometimes that can be seen as um, we're, we're just too much or we don't know how to be respectful or be quiet or mm. things like that. Um, yeah. And I feel like, I mean, w the things that we do most of the time are have good intentions, even if they don't always look like it. Yeah. And I think we get a bad rep for that. We sure. look like delinquents all the time. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I don't, I don't know that I've thought about it before, this idea that you know, you, when you're talking about we don't just want to sit down and be quiet or do what we're told. And that's I think that's kind of a value that um, definitely exists, but it's fading. That was kind of the expectation young people had of like young people's job is to sit still and be quiet and listen and, and be told what they're supposed to be about. And I think especially in the era of the Internet, right, which is you guys of – we have smartphones from age six and I don't know when you got yours, but you know, there's I mean, kindergartners was, running around I was with, in with iPhones. Sixth grade, okay. Seventh grade. Yeah. I think Avery mentioned something similar, sixth grade getting a smartphone, but, but having such access to the internet and to, you know, we're really becoming such a global society, um, that you are aware, um, almost burdensomely. So if that's a word <laughs> of all the issues, yeah, right. Everything that could possibly be going on in this world you have an idea and, and you want it to be known what 
is right and what is wrong, even if that means putting your foot in your mouth and, and yeah. saying something wrong or making a mistake. Um, people who are 16 are having a voice because of the Internet and yeah. for all the good and bad that comes with that. Right. Um, and, and so I think, yeah, I think that makes sense that it's hard for some people to see young people and give them credit because, well, young people are just supposed to do what they're told and right. just hush up and, and listen. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, we talked uh, earlier about how long you've been at church, and, and certainly um, you're not going to be uh, totally leaving North Davis behind, of course, with both right. your folks working here. But um, thinking about leaving and graduating and being on your way, uh, what, is there anything that you would want to say to the church, to the youth group? Um, uh, just, again, not that you won't be uh, around, but as you turn a significant corner in your life and, and head off. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say keep loving the people the way you do. I've never met a community that loves more than North Davis does. Um, and, I mean, being somebody who has moved around quite a bit before I moved here, um, I was really scared coming to a new church and to mm. a new place. And we were welcomed with open arms. And I felt so loved from the, f the, I mean, the first time that I stepped my foot in the door. Um, and so keep loving, keep loving well. That's something y'all do awesome. Um, and I would say, especially for um, the youth and children's people, stay involved, be more involved, because the, r the effort that you put into the relationships that you make will be given right back to you. And so if you go to camp and go to Wednesday night things, I mean, you will be plugged in and you will have these relationships that will go farther than, I mean, high school. So, yeah. Good deal. Well, thanks for your time today and uh, for talking about, man, what a terrible outro. I'm going to cut that so hard. <laughs> well, thanks for your time today and for um, just sharing some stories and, and swapping out on cares. Uh, it's fun to hear from you guys and just get a little perspective on uh, the way you see things. And um, yeah. good luck on the rest of your senior year, although apparently you don't have to hardly go to school ever. Not so. much of it, yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll see you. Thanks, Anna. Pretty fresh out. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to episode two of the ND podcast. Uh, what a great conversation to have with Anna and looking forward to uh, you guys hearing episodes three and four of our senior spotlight, where we'll hear from Merritt J next week uh, and Jake Boyla finally. Uh, and after that, the sky's the limit. Who knows who we'll get to talk to different people from our church, uh, other churches, maybe uh, could be all kinds of different folks coming on here and uh, just really looking forward to, to having the conversation that we get to have in a one-on-one -on -one, uh, setting and sharing them with you. Let me know what you think about the podcast. Come find me at church. Drop me a note uh, and let me know uh, what, what you think we should be covering or, or if you'd like to be on the show. Uh, really looking forward to seeing where this goes and getting to have the creative outlet that is podcasting. Uh, and we hope that the content is uplifting and encouraging to you and fun to listen to. Thanks for joining us.